involved in women's ministry. Way to go. Yeah. Um, men's ministry, you know, youth ministry. There's all these ministries. There's like five different classes and Beth Moore studies and all this stuff that you can do. And we decided that we're not going to do all that. And, and that was intentional um, because we think that the church exists primarily for those not inside the church yet. And so because that, that is why we exist, we want to free up time to be in our communities, to be hanging out with, with the families of where our kids are playing sports and, and at schools and things like that. Um, but we still need community. We still need to do life together. And so our primary way of accomplishing that is through our groups. And here's kind of our long-term vision. Now, I'll say this. Uh, the Bible says very clearly that man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So we make some plans, but we're free for God to go, you know what? I'm going to adjust that. But currently, Here's kind of our, our plan that we feel God has led us to is because we are going to be group-centered, um, as we grow, our, our goal is that our groups do life together so we learn here and then we get to talk about it. That's where we help apply it to each other's life, hold each other accountable, those things. But ideally, those groups grow and then they multiply. And then those grow and then they multiply. And so when we have, say, five or six of those groups meeting in North Carson, we want to plant a church in North Carson. When we have, you know, four or five of those groups or whatever meeting in South Gardnerville, guess what? Now we want to plant a church down there. So our goal is not to become a big church. Um, some, you know, for some of you that, that's great. And some are like, well, why not? Well, our goal isn't to become a big church, but our goal is to see our area churched. And so if we can set up these groups and then launch a small church there that hopefully will grow and then plant other churches, then hopefully we'll have churches in each community and it's kind of easier and it makes sense to go to a church in your community there with the goal of serving that community. So that's a little bit of our vision of why we focus on groups and where we think God is taking it. But of course, that's all in his timing um, and we trust him with it. But this week, groups start. Um, and this week, we're starting our six-week series called Game Plan. And groups are going to be an important time to discuss what we're, what we're talking about, what the Bible's teaching. So I would encourage you, commit to even just six weeks of a group. Just try it out for six weeks. Um, and if you like it, keep going. If you don't like it, try a different group and try that one for a little bit. Um, and that's okay to, to even switch, uh, but give it a try. So after the service, we're going to have a computer right up here. Um, if you're not in a group, you're not signed up, come up and, and sign up for a group um, and get involved and just even commit just for, for six weeks. Um, let me pray. Father, we thank you for healthy batteries. We thank you um, just for the way that you do provide for us. I, I thank you that we can worship, that we can clap our hands. I thank you that you're a God that is worth clapping our hands for. Um, you're a God that is worth worshiping. Not only is it true that you are the one and only God, um, you're a good God. It's a joy to serve you, and, and you only want to give us good things. Your Bible's clear about that. And those of us that, that follow you faithfully experience that. We don't experience perfect life by any means, but we do see that you are faithful, and you are worth worshiping. And so we worship because you're worth it. Um, not to gain anything, but because you first loved us and you showed us by giving your son, now we worship back. Um, Holy Spirit, today and over the next six weeks in this new series, I pray that you would touch our hearts, that you would convict us, that you would encourage us, that you would lead us in the direction that you want us to go for your glory, for your purposes, uh, which we also know are for our good. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So you may have... 
seen on Facebook, you may be aware that this week we're starting a series called Game Plan. And the whole point is to help you get the tools to figure out what is God's plan for my life. And so we begin with the question, have you ever asked that question, God, what is your will for me? Have you ever prayed that prayer, God, what is your plan for my life? Or even question, does God have a will? Does God have a plan? Well, I'm going to tell you this, I, I think he does. You know, that's a question that impacted me my entire life. Because when I was younger, when I was born, I was born, my intestines were in a knot. And so it took like three surgeries in the first week of my birth. Uh, so I wouldn't die. And I, if you, if you ask my parents, that was a pivotal time of faith growth for them where they, the church came together and prayed and sold stuff to pay for medical bills. Um, but I lived, uh, you know, I made it. Um, <laughs> But I, had a, I have a great, had a great grandmother who was a real prayer warrior. I'm blessed to have heritage of prayers. Um, and my great grandma was one who was a, a prayer warrior. And she said, you know, after that happened, she said, you know, God has a, a special plan for, for him. And so I heard that growing up some. I heard her say it. I heard my mom repeat it some. I heard it said several times, you know, God lets you live. God has a unique plan for you. And that, sometimes that was good. Sometimes that was bad. So sometimes in my life, I would you know, be walking in sin <laughs> or walking towards sin, and that would pop into my mind. Well, God let me live. God has a plan for me, and I'm going the wrong way, and I know it. Am I going to mess up God's plan? You know, and so sometimes that would be encouraging and, and put me on, and other times it was kind of discouraging. If God has a plan, why isn't he telling me? <laughs> if God has a plan, why is it so hard for me to figure it out? There'd be times when I thought I had it figured out, for him to go, eh, no, <laughs> go this way, you know, and I never had um, a burning bush like Moses had, where God spoke, and he said, hey, go to Pharaoh, and, you know, he wouldn't say that to me, but Moses got a burning bush. You know, Paul got blinded and knocked off a donkey, and, and he said, Jesus appeared and said, hey, I want you to go do this and that. I never had that. Um, have you? Anybody? No. Uh, <laughs> okay, that's typically not how he works. Um, God doesn't typically work that way in our lives. And so the question is, if God has a plan, why is it so hard to find? And so we want to, in the next six weeks, discover, or at least give you the tools to discover, what is God's plan for your life? Because if God has a plan for my life, why is it so hard to figure out? And here's the starting, here's the beginning, is I would say, have you prayed that prayer? Have you asked God to show you God, what is your will for my life? Because if you haven't, that's part of the reason you might not know. Um, or maybe it's time to start. And it doesn't matter what age you are. Maybe it's time to start praying the prayer, God, what is your plan for my life? You know, long term, short term, here's a big decision right now. God, what is your plan for my life? And so one of the things that I want to encourage you to do, starting now through this series, is pray every day. Pray weekly. Um, God, what is your plan for my life? Ask him. And then move forward as we discover what he says about his plan. Move forward in obedience to that. Um, here's the premise of the series. So if you're a note taker, there's notes in your handout. Um, or you can download the app, Common Ground Carson, on any app store, whatever. Um, and the notes are on there. Just type on sermon notes. Um, but the premise of this series is this. There is a God and he has a great plan for your life. Just so you know that. There is a God, one God, and he has a plan for your life. And here's the promise that we're making to you. This is kind of a bold promise. At the end of the series, you will be better equipped and encouraged to understand how to find God's plan for your life. We want you to be equipped and give you ways to help discover what is God's plan for your life. Um, but the goal today, 
And here's the title of this, this today, this message is the fundamentals of the game. So it's called game plan. If you don't know me, I'm a football fan. I'm a Bronco fan. And so who cares about this weekend? Um, oh, Cowboys fans do. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm a football player, so I, I understand, you know, and I get kind of, in sports, you have a, a game plan. You go into the game with a, with a mission. Hey, I mean, in soccer, it's only one thing. It's like put the goal, you know, put the ball in that goal more than them and, yeah, run faster than them, right? Jason, is there anything more to it? No, that's it. Okay, so <laughs> I'm kidding. I love soccer. But football takes maybe a little more planning and strategy, and, and there's all these different parts to it, and, and other sports do as well. But what is, what is the game plan? And so we want to discover what is the game plan, because sometimes it feels like we have a coach that is just sitting, you know, eating sunflower seeds on the sideline and, and not giving any instruction. Um, so today, we want to focus on the fundamentals of the game. The basics, because we have to start somewhere before going forward. And so here's where we're starting is the fundamentals of the game. And we're going to be in Colossians, Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. So if you have a Bible, grab it. If you use something electronic, we're using the ESV version. Go to that one so that the words are the same. Or grab a Bible under your seat, and it's page 1088, um, and grab that. You know, when I, uh, when I was in my early 20s, I remember asking this question, God, what is your will? And so I, I opened up the Bible, and I, I looked everywhere I could find, and I did a study about God's will. And honestly, what I discovered, I was a little frustrated, because none of it was real specific to me, I felt like. Uh, it was full of things that are God's will, uh, things such as pray without ceasing. That, it says that in the Bible. God's will is that you pray without ceasing. Um, give thanks in everything. Rejoice always. Submit to authorities, avoid sexual immorality, be filled with the spirit, be saved. There's all these things that the Bible talks about God's will. But as I looked over that, it's like, yeah, but I have a decision to make. What is that? And he said, well, here's, God showed me some things. He's like, figure out what we do understand about the word, and then we can move over to the specifics. And so that's what we're going to look at today, though, is, is foundations. Um, anybody here familiar with John Wooden? I'm curious. John Wooden? Okay, a few. Basketball coach. Arguably the best college basketball coach ever. Some would argue the best coach ever. Um, but John Wooden was one of those that he, uh, he coached. Where did he coach? UCLA. There we go. <laughs> UCLA. And he had, what did he have? Um, 10 NCAA national championships in 12 years. Seven in a row. Uh, the next in line has two in a row. So he had seven championships in a row, 10 in 12 years. He was, a, he was an effective coach. Um, but he's also one of those that his players went on to be fairly successful in life also. Um, and he kept contact. And his, his whole thing was growing not just a good basketball team, but growing men. Uh, but one of his players, there was a, an interview with one of his players who went on to be successful in life. And he talked about his freshman year of college and his first practice with John Wooden. And so this, you know, college team. So these are all students who were successful in high school, good basketball players. And they came in and they sat down and John Wooden said, okay, here's how you put on your socks. And he showed them how to put on their socks. And here's how you tie your shoes. And that was his first lesson every year how to put on your socks and your shoes. He said, because everything else that we do, you need your feet. When you're out there doing the plays, you need your feet, you need your shoes to be on right. So he always started with socks and shoes. And this, this one player said that was actually foundational for many of the decisions in his life that was helpful, starting with the basics. And so that's the fundamentals, and that's what we're looking at today. 
Because before we can understand the specifics of God's plan for our lives, we must understand the fundamentals of the game. So look at Colossians 3, 1 through 4, if you would. Turn there. Now, the context. This is Paul writing. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. And so we see a lot of Paul. But this is Paul writing to the church in Colossae, and they are Christians. So he's writing to believers. And the context that he's writing to is these believers have false teachers coming in. These false teachers are trying to lead them astray, and they're teaching something called asceticism. That is, it's a, it's a way of thinking that you discipline the body, basically, or, you know, long fasting, these things, um, basically rules. Now, they were a little bit different than the Judaizers who were saying, obey the Jewish law. These were people that saying, discipline the body, set all these rules, and that's how you gain maturity. That's where you get success. And so these false teachers were coming in, trying to lead them into this, this legalism and all these rules. And so Paul is trying to address that and talk about these false teachers. Now, look at chapter 2, verse 8 real quick, because this is helping to set the, the context of where we're at. Because Paul says to them, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. He's saying, watch out. These false teachers are coming in. Don't be taken captive. Christians, he's talking to Christians, don't be taken captive by philosophy. Philosophy, a way of thinking that traditionally sounds good. And asceticism is one of those. If you want to be successful, hey, go stop drinking altogether. That sounds right, doesn't it? Um, hey, never watch R-rated movies. And maybe that's a good thing. To, you know, boundaries are good, but all these things. And it kind of sounds right, doesn't it, to set a bunch of rules. But he's, basically what he's talking about is don't go by philosophy according to human tradition. And he says that they are according to the elemental spirits. He's saying that they're demonic. These are actually things that sound good in the church. And he says, demons are behind them trying to enslave you to legalism, to rules, to law. Uh, look at verse 20 in chapter 2. He says this, um, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. So he's going off of that. The spirits are trying to lead them into legalism. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to all these things that perish as they're used. According to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the, to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. He's saying a religion of do's and don'ts won't help. That's what he's saying. But, that's, but that seems right, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem right that you're like, okay, I want to follow God. Good. Here's the rules. <laughs> follow them. Do all this stuff. Stop doing all of this. All those people that are bad, stop hanging out with them. You know, all, that sounds good. He's saying, uh-uh, that's not going to help. In fact, maybe you've struggled with this. I know I have in my life. You want to honor God, and so you do some of that, and then you become proud um, and maybe judgmental. Um, and you lose some of the love, maybe for the world or for, for the way that you used to be. So this is what he's saying. Watch out for this. It sounds good. It sounds good, but it's of the devil. Um, it has the appearance of wisdom. Now look with me. How do we put on our spiritual socks and shoes? 
chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. If, that word if often should be translated, and in some translation is translated since. It's a statement of fact because this is true, now this is true. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Since you've been raised with Christ. This is true, this is something that has happened. Now let's look back at chapter two again and see what he's talking about. He says, since you've been raised with Christ, he talks about that. He really outlines it very clearly in chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Look there real quick, probably the same page. It says, having been buried with him, this is talking about you with Jesus, if you're a Christian, having been buried with Jesus in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. These verses may be the best summary of the gospel. If you're ever wondering, how can I summarize the whole gospel really quickly to somebody? Memorize these or put it in your, this sums it up. Because this is what the life is. He says, having been buried with him in baptism. That's why we do baptism. Uh, Christmas Eve, we had three. It was awesome. But what we say is died with Christ. That's what he's talking about. Buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. When you place your faith in G Jesus, your life changes in that you die to what you used to be. You used to be enslaved to sin and the worldly things. He says, now you're died to that. And a change has happened. And it's all based on Jesus. He says, the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Everything is covered, and that doesn't sound right. It sounds like it should be, you know, some faith and some works too. We should do these things. He's saying, nah, uh it's not about that. Some asceticism sounds right. He says, no, it's all based on what Jesus did on the cross. It's that easy uh, because it says in verse 14, 214, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. All, every sin that you ever committed, even one is enough. Even one is enough to warrant hell. But here's a list of all your sins and the payment is death and suffering, eternal separation from God. And it's written down, by the way. It is written down. Um, not on earth, but it's written down in heaven. And so there's that. God, when we by faith accept Jesus as Lord, because Jesus paid for that on the cross, he cancels it. He takes it, he writes paid in full, and then he rips it up. And it's gone. All because it was nailed to the cross. That's what it says in verse 14. He, he nailed it to the cross. But because that happened, you died to what you used to be, which means you also died to this philosophy and religion and were raised with Christ. And so that's what he's talking about here in verse one. If then, since you have been raised with Christ, because you have, if you're a believer, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, you believe he died on the cross and rose again, and you're willing to follow him, then it's true, you have been raised with Christ. And by the way, that, that word have been raised, that's one word in the Greek, and it's passive. It's aorist passive. That, you don't need to remember those words, but what it means is it happened in the past and it happened to you. 
You didn't do this to yourself. You were raised by the power of God. <laughs> you didn't do it. And it happened. Since that's the case, recognize this is true. Since that's the case, seek the things that are above. Seek. That is not passive. That is active, present, imperative. Meaning it happens now and always. You do it and you have to always do it. And it's a command to do it. Seek. Literally keep on seeking. And what do you seek? Keep on seeking the things that are above. Heavenly things. Okay, so we're... we're our point is game plan. What is God's plan for our lives? Here's step one. Keep seeking the things that are above. Continue to seek the things that are above. We are ambitious about him. So this is, this is in your notes. You must not only seek heaven, you must also think heaven. This is verse two. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. So you must not only seek heaven, you must also think heaven. This is different. This is, this is why this is our foundation. This is where we start because this is a different way of thinking. How do we normally think? You know, think about before you were a Christian, but even now often, I struggle with this. We think of life in compartments. So we think of life as I've got family, I've got work, I've got hobby, I've got church, and we kind of have these compartments that are separated. And, and sometimes they don't really link together. But what he's saying is seek, and it's kind of a, it's an ongoing all the time thing. Keep seeking the things that are above. So meaning in all these compartments, through all of it, we're seeking what is above. That is godly things, heavenly things. What is God's plan on earth? What does he want to accomplish? That's first before what I want to accomplish. So we have personal ambitions, don't we? We want to be happy, and I don't think that's a bad desire, but that's not the first desire. We want our kids to be well taken care of and comfortable. That's a good desire, but it's not the first desire. So we have these things we want to do, and often what we do is we bring God into it. So I have a decision to make, and now I'm, I'm doing a pros and cons list, and one of the, the things on the list is what would God think about it, rather than that being the lens with which we view the whole thing. Does that make sense? Keep seek at all times and everything all the time. So it's not like, well, I am a construction worker or I'm an engineer. And so right now I'm doing engineering. I'm designing a, a box, a board, a circuit, something electric. I'm doing something designing this. Well, even in that, are you thinking heavenly things as in do a great job, as in who are you doing this for and with and what can God do through this at all times? That's why right there, as you go out the door, it says you're a missionary, Go make disciples. We're all missionaries at all times. But it requires us to be thinking at all times. What would God be doing? What, what is God's will here? Um, let me read verse 2 again. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. So the best example, some of you have heard this before, for, for in my life. Um, when I was 16, you know, I went on a missions trip. And, and that was when God really communicated to me. And I felt strongly, I want you to be a missionary. Um, international missionary. I got that wrong, at least to this date. Um, but that's what I felt God leading. But the underlying aspect of that was really, God, I'll go anywhere you want to do whatever you want. So in college, I went to Biola, ratio four girls to one guy. It was awesome. Um, it was like a buffet. Um, <laughs> that sounds awful, but it was. And so there was, there was a, a period where um, 
I was interested in this girl. Um, her name was Abby. And I was also interested in this other girl. Her name was Callie. And so, um, you know, they were both kind of on the burner. Maybe you've done that. Um, but underlying, underlying was I knew that God had a plan for me and I wanted to do that. So I remember going on a date with this girl, Abby, and she was a good friend. And we went out and we were just walking through the park. I said, so do you think that if, if God asked you to, could you live in a hut in the middle of Africa for the rest of your life? I mean, just picture where Zach is right now. That was what I had on my mind. That may be what God asked me to do. I said, could you do that? She went, no, <laughs> I couldn't. We didn't go on another, I mean, we stayed friends and our, I mean, it was great, but we, we didn't go out again because I knew I had to be able to do whatever God asked me to do. So then Callie and I are hanging out and I asked Callie the exact same question. She went, if God tells me to, I'd have to. And yeah, I'm like, sweet. <laughs> but, but that's kind of an example of seeking heaven above everything helps you make other decisions. And so that one, I knew I had to be available for whatever God would do. And it helped me in that big decision of who to date, who to seek after, because that was going to lead to marriage, obviously. Um, but everything we think, this is in your notes, everything we think, say, and do now has the backdrop of eternity. Now has the backdrop of eternity. Because that's what it means to set your heart and your mind on things above, heavenly things, where, where Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. That's forever, by the way. And we're going to see that again in, in verse 4. But we need to think forever has the backdrop of eternity. Look at verse three. Three, three. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Four, look at that word, four. Because of this stuff, now this stuff. Because of what came before, now this. Four, because you've died with Christ and you're seeking um, everything above with him. Because of that, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's kind of like a, an amazing, life-changing truth in these little words that almost seem kind of obscure. But he says your life is hidden with Jesus because you died yourself, didn't you? We already saw it. That's what happened when you gave your life to Jesus. It doesn't always feel that way. And there's absolutely a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Paul writes about that in Romans. There is a battle. But you don't, you don't have to give in anymore. You, don't, you can, but you don't have to. Because that's true, you died yourself. And now your life is hidden with Christ. Hidden with Christ. Hidden. What is something hidden? So elsewhere it talks in the Bible about, uh, you know, dough and, and leaven and things being hidden in there. So say, you know, the kids were playing with Play-Doh yesterday and you have this Play-Doh and you might, you know, and I'm going to hide a marble in the Play-Doh. I shove the, the marble in the Play-Doh and I close it up. Well, what do you see when I hold it? You see the Play-Doh. <laughs> so your life is hidden with Christ. If that's true, what people see is Christ. What comes out in your life is Christ, not you, because your life is hidden with Christ. Therefore, people see Christ in you. Your life is Christ's life. This is in your notes. The Christian life, we say this often, the Christian life is not us living for God because that's religion. The Christian life is not us living for God, working our hardest, doing our best for God. The Christian life is not us living for God. It is Jesus living his life in and through me or in and through us. There's a big difference. It's not me going out going, God, what do you want to do? And I'm going to work hard for you to accomplish it. It's instead Jesus in me living his life through me. So there's an aspect of, yes, trying to figure out, God, what, where do you want me to go? What, what you want me to do? But it all starts with Jesus in you. Do we get that? 
It's not religion. It's not you living for God. Because if you gave your life to Christ, guess what? The Bible's very clear. You're already adopted. You're a son or daughter of the king. He loves you. You're not going to lose that. You're part of his family. You're going to be with him forever. So you can live secure in that. You don't need to earn anything. But your life is hidden with him. And now you're free to let him simply live through you. We can't skip this. That's why this is the fundamentals of the game. It starts with Jesus' life in you. So reach under your, your chair. You, you probably wondered, why are there Cracker Jacks? You know, so go ahead and gra- grab your Cracker Jacks. These are a gift. Very expensive gift for you. Um, so <laughs> this is payback for your tithe. Um, <laughs> no, Cracker Jacks. So Brendan turned 18 this week. I know. So he hasn't gotten his spankings yet. So anybody that wants to tackle him after the service, you're welcome to do that. Um, he turned 18, but because of all the snow, his gifts didn't come. So I gave him one of these. Um, we wrapped it up and he's like, yay. He's like, these are gross. And I agree. Cracker Jacks are gross. But what is the, what's the great thing about a Cracker think about, think about when you were a kid. What's the great thing about a Cracker Jack box? That's right. It's the prize inside. It's the surprise. Yeah, it's the prize inside. So for Brendan, it was a tattoo. D- did you put it on? No. <sighs> it was, oh, it was a sticker. Okay, you got a sticker. Um, well, that's more valuable than the Cracker Jacks. Um, but so think about, think about your life kind of as a Cracker Jack. You're a Cracker Jack. Um, and the value is the prize inside. For you, when you give your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you. That's why your life is hidden with Christ because Christ gives his life to you. The Holy Spirit is in you like the prize inside the box. And the value is there. Now, of course, most of you probably like Cracker Jacks. And so, there, you know, I don't want to diminish that. You have value as a person. Absolutely. You do. You're not just a piece of dirt um, that you're only good because of the Holy Spirit. But your flesh... And the prize inside is what we want to focus on, the spirit in you. And we're going to unpack this a little bit more over this six-week series because that's a big deal. But this is where we start. The Holy Spirit is in you. Jesus wants to live his life through you. That's the starting point. Not, what do I do? So we have decisions to make all the time, but we often start with the decision. Stop it. (laughs) Stop starting with the decision and start with Jesus. Start with his life hidden in you and your mind. And by the way, in that verse where it says, set your minds on the things above, that word is very difficult. If you read commentary, it's very difficult to translate into English because it's not just cognitive thinking. It also includes heart feelings. So set your mind. So the things that you think about and desire, set those things on God's things. So you start to desire what God desires And as you do that, as you set, and this is what you do, you try and set your mind there, the Holy Spirit in you will empower you to do that, will help you to do it, and will guide you in the way that he would have you to go. And it makes those decisions easier as they come. Christ, who is your life? Verse four, when Christ, who is your life, If you have a pen and you have your Bible open, underline that, circle it, star it. This is the fundamentals of the game. When Christ, who is your life, 
We're putting on our socks and shoes, our spiritual socks and shoes. When Christ, who is your life, it's not about you. <laughs> Can we all say that real quick? Let's say it together. It's not about me. It's not about me. Do you believe what you just said? It's not about me. Derek, it's not about you. Your life is hidden with Christ and Christ, who is your life? It's about Jesus. Christ, who is your life? When he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. We ask the question, God, what should I do with my life? His first response is, I am your life. God, what should I do with my life? His first response, I am your life. Because if you get that, you can handle anything that comes your way. We talked, you know, in uh, some of our discipleship groups that I was in this last week, we talked about suffering and, and things that happen and pain is going to happen. We're still in these bodies. People are going to do us wrong. Christians are going to do us wrong. The church is going to do us wrong. We're going to have sickness, death. Things are going to happen. But when Christ is your life, you see it differently. You can see it through his lens of how to glorify him. And looking at that, why does, why does God give pain? And there's several reasons in scripture, but all of it points to he, he can accomplish things through pain that he can't accomplish in other ways. And so he'll allow it for his glory. In fact, some of you who are the most faithful and maybe can be used the greatest for the kingdom, he's gonna give you the most pain and suffering because you can handle it and through that show him to others. And with, when your mind is set on heavenly things, you can do that. When your mind is set on you, when it's about me, I can't go through that or I'm mad about that, or I blame God about that. But when it's him, I can go through it. So here's, here's in your notes. The focus of our lives is not the future. <laughs> you came here going, ha tell me my future. I just, I'm not, not right now. The focus of our lives is not the future, at least not the starting point. The focus of our lives is a person, Jesus. And when our focus is there, Jesus leads us to the future he has for us. When our focus is that Jesus is our life, then he will lead us to the future he has for us. But look at the rest of that verse also. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we can debate what the end looks like. We can, uh, there's a lot of different views within the church of what the end looks like. When does Jesus come back? When are we raptured? All that stuff, whatever. Here's what we do know. Jesus is coming back. And here's what we do know. When he comes back, we're going to go with him. We know some will be alive when he comes back. And the Bible is very clear that what happens when he comes back is we will actually go to meet him in the air. We'll receive new bodies. I don't know how it happens, but it's like in transit. You know, so me and David are going, he comes up next and we're going up and I'm like, you're changing. He's like, so are you. I'm like, you're way better looking. So are you. <laughs> you know, does this hurt? Pinch? No. Wow, this is cool. But some of us are going to die. And, and then he's going to come back after that and we're going to come with him with new bodies. Some of us who are alive are going to get new bodies right then and come with him. But that's what we know. That when he comes, we'll be with him. In his glory, he's going to share his glory with us. You and I, we don't deserve any glory. And we can't earn it. You can be the best person in the world. You don't deserve any glory. But Jesus is going to share his with us. Oh my goodness. It's worth it. So making Jesus your life it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth it. We can't always see it right now, but it's worth it. The thing that kept coming to my mind this morning as I was going over this is uh, 
diet and exercise. So I realized that I'm like way overweight and that's why I'm getting heartburn and you know, I'm just way out of shape. And so I'm wanting to exercise so I can feel better. Cause you know, uh, Elise likes to dance with me after, you know, so we'll watch a movie and at the end of the credits, let's dance. Well, I can only dance for like a minute. And then I'm like, uh. <laughs> you know, I can only throw around for a minute, but I want to get better. And so part of that is, you know, when you get on that bike or whatever, and you're riding, okay, what am I thinking about? This, this hurts. I'm giving myself pain right now. And I don't like that. I hate cardio exercise, but if I do it and I'm thinking this will allow me to have more fun with my kids. Okay. It's worth, you know what I mean? I can set my mind on that. It's worth, it. I can do it. <laughs> you know? Okay. I'm going to give up. Wait a minute. If I give up, you know, um, I won't be able to throw her as high. Okay. You know, those are the things in my mind that do it. It's worth it. As we lay ourselves aside, our personal ambitions aside, and Christ is our life, we need to set our mind on heavenly things and eternal things, and it's worth it. When we look out, we see, then it's worth it. The question is not, God, what should I do with my life? The question becomes, God, what should I do with your life that is within me? The question is not, God, what should I do with my life? It becomes, God, what should I do with your life that is within me? And then the lens changes. You know, the Bible talks about having faith like a child. And children are often good uh, reminders of this. Um, we just had the Christmas season. And one of uh, my favorite songs to sing around Christmas is Elise, I'm Your Dad. Um, to the tune of Feliz Navidad. Um, <laughs> so Feliz Navidad comes on and Elise is our youngest. And I'm like, Elise, I'm your dad. You know, and of course, some of them are, stop it, sing it right. I'm like, Elise, I'm your dad. <laughs> you know, and part of the second one is, Elise, I'm your dad and I'm the only one that you've ever had. You know, or, or sometimes it'll be, and I'm the best one that you've ever had. Well, she'll correct me. She'll be like, no, you're the second best. Um, last week, me and Elise had some fun time of wrestling around and playing and reading. And if you're a parent, you know that. You know, doing some of that, there's kind of some bond. And she was just loving it. She was all snuggly and whatever. And so we went to bed and we laid down. We were still talking. And, and she said, Dad, you're my second best dad. You know, I'm like, oh. But I, and I probed. I'm like, why am I your second best dad? Because God is my best dad. But you're my second best dad. Now, I'd love to say that in all things at all times, that's the way my kids go, <laughs> but that's not the case. So don't, don't sit there going, oh, his kids are perfect. They're not. Um, <laughs> I'm serious, but that was a good little glimpse. That was great. And, and my desire is that, that, is that that translates into all of her life because she thought of God first in that moment that it wasn't about God. It was about me and her having fun together, but her mind went to, went to God. Can we do that? <laughs> Can we have that kind of view at all times, and view things his way. I wrote here that she expressed earthly enjoyment with a heavenly perspective. Does that make sense? With a heavenly view. She, earth, she expressed earthly enjoyment with a heavenly perspective. So here's, here's our application. Here's how we move forward this week. And we are, okay, don't be depressed, Next week, moving on, we are going to look more at, at even more of the tools of, okay, how do I, how do I make decisions? Okay, because God's plan for my life, how do I make decisions? Um, maybe you've asked that when you have big decisions to make, whether it's dating or marriage or moving or career. There's a lot of times. And we will get to that, but it starts with this. If I just gave you that, it'd be out of order. And we wouldn't be focused where we need to be focused, on Jesus. And so this week, I want you to simply go with God. Okay, this is our application this week. Our application two weeks ago 
was prayer, and it was commit to pray 10 minutes a day for the next two weeks. And I've heard from a lot of people who've done it and went, this was awesome. And some even this morning were sharing the answers to those prayers. I would say, if you've been doing that, keep doing it. (laughs) Don't stop. But here's our challenge from this one. Go with God. Rest in the truth that you're not supposed to figure out every aspect of your future. Sorry. (laughs) Rest that you can trust Jesus with your future. Rest that you can pursue him. You can be faithful to him and he will work out your future in his timing for his glory in a way that's also best for you. Not always comfortable for you, but best for you. Go with him because the great prize in you is the Holy Spirit. Your life is hidden with Christ. Here's the big idea today. Our focus is not on the future. Our focus is a person. Then we can move toward the future. So here's what we're going to do. We, uh, we're going we're gonna to worship. We have two more songs, I believe. We're going to worship. We're going to close in worship. But part of worship is responding. As you read through scripture, part of worship is responding. I think that's one of the cool things that, of mass, of Catholic mass, is you get up and you respond, you go, you do something. There's something that is not traditional American Christianity. Um, but in a service actually responding, but we're going to ask you to respond. And here's what we want you to do. If you feel led, if you're comfortable, um, if you're not comfortable, get uncomfortable and try it. But here's what, um, the, the music team is going to play for a couple minutes without singing yet. Stay seated or stand, whatever. Paul will give us that instruction. I don't know. Um, but under your seat, there's a notepad. And if there's not, there's three notepads there. There's three there. I want you to think about what is it that you are stressing over? What is it? Is there a decision you have to make? Um, Is there something in your life that is, you need to just give to Jesus? One of those things that you you need to know, Jesus will handle this and first I'm going to pursue you. I want you to write it down. You can even write it in code. If you don't want other people to know, that's fine. Write it in code. Um, Write it in pig Latin. Nobody knows that. You know, write it in code Come up here, write it, and then go stick it to the cross or stick it to the wall next to the cross. The point of this is that you are saying, Jesus, I trust you with whatever it is that you need to trust him with. Future decisions that you've been wrestling with, uh, present decisions, a present circumstance that you don't like, a present circumstance that you don't know what to do with. Write it down. And again, write it in code. Who cares? Write a line. God knows what it is. If, you know, and I, I get that. If it's something other people shouldn't see, Great. But go, write it down, God knows, and then go post it to there. Post on the wall. And that's you giving it to God. This will help us. Here's how this will help us. It will help us moving forward. Set some of these things aside and go, Jesus, you are my life. I can set some of this stuff and just give it to you. And now I can follow you. And now I'm a little bit more open for you to reveal specific things in my life. And then this week, begin praying, God, show me your will for my life. As you pursue Jesus for Jesus. It's about our relationships. So uh, let me pray and then let's worship and respond. Father, I thank you so much that you, you and your word, you give us answers to our questions. Um, and we're going to discover more how to discover some of those specific answers. But God, I thank you. I thank you that you do have a plan for my life. I thank you that you, you have an ultimate plan and that I'm part of it and you care enough about me to use me in it. Um, I thank you. That, that you're worth it. I thank you that you've given us your word that we can know, we can understand, we can know you. I thank you for your church, that we can worship together. I thank you for those in your church who have loved me, who I get to love. God, and we see you in each other. 
Holy Spirit, here's what I, I really ask today. Here's my, my petition, my request, is that we, everybody in this room this week, would spend some time meditating on this, that we would look this passage over again and meditate on Jesus, you are our life. And you have already given yourself to us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us if we're believers. Let us just rest in that and be comfortable in that. And I pray now as we, as we do a little worship and there's some music going, reveal to us what we need to give to you. And I pray that we would. We would get up, we would go, and we would write it down and stick it by the cross or on the cross and give it to you and let you be in control because it's not about us. It's about you. And we can trust you and it's worth it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.